0: not again
1: so we are drinking the french
0: 75 which is very intriguing to me i'm excited to try this pretty like luminescent cocktail
1: it is um well it's a champagne cocktail so it's an ounce of gin a half ounce of fresh lemon juice a half ounce of simple syrup and then you top that with your sparkling wine or champagne
0: but you cut the simple syrup because we're sweet enough already
1: i did i cut our sweet our simple syrup in half because
0: we're sweet enough already. We are definitely sweet enough already. Yes, okay. And we
1: are drinking them out of these flutes, these Waterford Crystal Flutes. I love my we're Waterford flutes. We're fancy.
0: We are fancy, and it's the French 75. You we'll have to be fancy. And we've got a
1: twist of lemon here, a little lemon peel.
0: Very cute. So, Check out our Facebook page to see a picture of our cocktails when we make them.
1: Okay, let's drink it, because I <sighs> want to drink it.
0: Okay. I'm scared, as I say every time. Yum. I really like it
1: it's just the right
0: amount of sweet for me i think yes i'm super happy i would like it to be colder i would like it to be colder as well do we want to put it on the rocks or is that weird i'm not putting it on the rocks. okay
1: we'll just drink it we'll just drink it fast we can just put a couple like an ice cube in each one we could do that after we drink
0: down some yes i am one of these people that everything has to be freezing freezing cold it's not a cocktail to me unless the ice is heaping over the top and then it melts down as you put the booze in
1: No, I'm with you on that. Like, the ratio of ice and liquid has to be the same. Like, they have to be at the same level. Right, yes. Yeah. So, like, I hate when there's just, like, a few cubes of ice floating on the top of my cocktail. That's
0: not cold. Ugh. Makes me want (laughs) to gag. (laughs) That's funny. All right. What are you telling me about today? So,
1: I actually have a little dual um, storyline going for you, but... The main story I'm going to tell you about is Carlos the Jackal. Ooh, I like that name. So Carlos the Jackal uh, would would come to be known as a Venezuelan militant, and he orchestrated some of the highest profile terrorist attacks of the 70s and 80s.
0: Okay, good for you, Carlos.
1: He was born Ilyich Ramirez Sanchez in 1949 in Caracas, Venezuela. And despite his mother's plea to name him Jose, his father insisted on the first name Ilyich after Vladimir Ilyich
0: Lenin. Oh. Okay, so, so far I've heard Venezuelan and Russian not hearing the French yet. We'll get to it. Okay. Um, so, so, poor little Ilyich. Poor little Ilyich. He had two
1: younger siblings. One of them was named Lenin and the other Vladimir
0: okay so it's a thing it's a thing but when you said he had two older brothers i was trying to think of something something funny in my head to say and the first thing that popped in but before i could get it out was was one of them named vladimir
1: (laughs) yes yes in fact they were
0: oh my we're too predictable
1: so he was born into an upper-class family. His father ran a lucrative law practice. He was The father was also a committed Marxist. And, Obviously. I mean, how could you have guessed? <laughs> and he educated Ramirez in communist policies and revolutionary thought. Ilyich attended high school in Caracas, Venezuela. And there he joined the youth movement of the Venezuelan Communist Party in 1959. Oh my goodness. In 1966, Ilyich joined his father and attended the third tricontinental com- conference and later attended a summer camp at Camp Matazanes, a guerrilla warfare school in Havana, Cuba.
0: Oh, I went to Bible camp. <laughs> you went to guerrilla warfare I went school. to swim camp. <laughs> I went to st- cheerleading camp too.
1: Mine was at Stanford, not at Cuba.
0: Oh my God. They sent their kid to guerrilla warfare summer camp.
1: Yeah, apparently mother was not too cool about that because...
0: But she still went along with it. Well, they divorced right after that. Oh, my goodness. So
1: his mother took all the children. She moved to London.
0: Um, wise choice.
1: Yeah, she was a socialite. She loved traveling. She took um, Ilyich <laughs> along a lot of the time. And that's where he acquired his taste for his lavish Playboy lifestyle.
0: Okay, so somewhere guerrilla warfare guerrilla warfare camp failed if he's become a lavish playboy he that does not sound very communist he just took his gap
1: year from communism (laughs) and decided to be a playboy is how i'm gonna go ahead
0: and explain it that's hysterical okay pin in it i'm getting us ice cubes because we've each drank it one ice cube each please yes all right so young ilyich is on his gap year where he gets to be a playboy Mm mm-hmm
1: uh, he attended a British prep school and then he later went on after that to attre- attend Patrice Lumumba People's Friendship University in Moscow. So he's back to the communism he's, thing. Yeah, like I said, he literally took a gap year.
0: That's so. Funny.
1: He ended up getting expelled there in 1970 because he was having trouble with some of the personnel at the university and he was not doing well academically.
0: Oh so after he gets expelled i thought you were gonna say he like opened up a lemonade stand or something
1: (laughs) that maybe that's why he didn't get along um so he gets expelled and he decides to continue his revolutionary training and he um starts training with the popular front for the liberation of palestine or the pflp and this is where he was given the name carlos
0: which is what mom wanted to name him in the first place no mom
1: wanted to name him jose okay So Carlos's first training mission for PFLP was to undertake weapons training in Jordan. So he did that. And um, right after he finished the weapons training, the PFLP was completely ejected from Jordan. So he went back to London and he had a mission there. So while he was in London, he collected this list of names that were going to be used as potential targets for kidnappings or assassinations. Oh, my goodness and then he did another mission that ended after he failed an assassination of Joseph Seif who was the president of the retailer Marks and Spencer and he was a prominent Jewish businessman so what happened was on December 30th 1973 Carlos forced his way into Seif's home at gunpoint and seriously wounded him with a gunshot to the head I want to say Seif was in the bathtub at the time oh my goodness um and carlos's gun jammed before he could get another shot off so carlos fled
0: okay can you see that scene like here's some masked gunman breaking into your house you're naked in the bathtub i'm imagining just given his name his position he's an older gentleman might have a little paunch going so he's sitting there in the bathtub and this crazy person comes in pointing a gun at him, he tries to shoot, it jams, and then the kid panics and runs out the door. Well, he
1: did shoot him once. He shot Uh, him, yeah. So he was wounded. It shot him (laughs) in the face, but I want to say Oh my gosh. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't a fatal wound, but it injured him nonetheless. Okay,
0: never mind. It's not funny anymore. No, but it would be startling. It would just be quite a scene, you know?
1: So the next thing that happened was Carlos aided in planning a September 13th, 1974 occupation of the French embassy in The Hague, Netherlands. So this actually did, was successful. The occupiers were all members of the Japanese Red Army, but he was instrumental in in planning the occupation.
0: I didn't know Japan had a Red Army. Yeah. Huh. I knew China did, but I didn't know Japan did. I don't
1: know how big it was. This was like news to me, but I found it in several sources. Huh. So the occupiers were member... Oh, I said that. Um, while the French were negotiating for release of the 11 hostages that were held at the embassy, Carlos threw a, gen- a grenade into a Paris cafe. Rude. Yeah. This attack killed two people and wounded dozens. And within days, the French had agreed to the Japanese Red Army's demands.
0: I just can't get over that Japanese Red Army. Mm-hmm. What year was this again?
1: Um, 74, I'm going to guess, I okay. think is what I said. So, I was yeah. not
0: aware of the world yet. Yeah.
1: So, in January 1975, Carlos led a failed rocket attack on an LL Al airliner at Orly Airport in Paris. So, he's in France since 1975.
0: Against it's, oh, look at that. I love it. What has he got against the poor French people?
1: I think it was actually the um, the Jewish people because LL Al is a Palestinian airline or a. Okay um israel israeli, israeli airline airline um, and
0: then go to israel it's a state by now quit picking on the french
1: i know it was just easier i guess to go to the paris airport well and paris is
0: probably you know they have better food i've never tasted israeli food but i have tasted some french food french food Fruit is hard to beat but i
1: imagine israel has some pretty good food too
0: couscous that's uh, israeli okay I'm a bread girl I want a croissant <laughs> <laughs> you can't go wrong with a nice butter croissant oh though. my god that sounds so good right now I want one children make us a
1: butter croissant
0: make us a butter croissant from they scratch got.
1: um oh so then there was a second rocket attack a week later um this resulted in a shootout with the French police but Carlos was able to get away uh the co-planner of the LL attacks was Michael Mukarbal. I'm, no, I'm saying that completely. No, Mich- Michelle Mukarbal. I'm saying that wrong because I do not speak French.
0: Um, I took three years in high school and I don't speak French.
1: I feel like you now, always, like, <laughs> with right? all the names.
0: <laughs> I have more names today.
1: So, Mukabal was arrested by the French police in June of 1975. And he ratted out Carlos and led him to the Paris flat where Carlos was staying. So, Carlos just open the door, welcome the police into the flat, began Seriously? offering them drinks, he entertained them, and then he drew a machine pistol and opened fire. Oh my goodness. Oh, and Mukerball was there too cuz he brought the police too.
0: Did Carlos know that Mukerball had betrayed him? I want to
1: I it, I didn't see that, but I want to say he must have cuz how could he like mentally just be so like
0: ready chill. to Yeah. Kill. So I wonder if it wasn't a setup to harm police officers oh
1: yeah that would be good
0: mm-hmm. well always gotta be one step ahead
1: in any case Mukerball. i know i'm saying that completely wrong mookie i'm gonna call him if mookie. you know
0: how to say <laughs> the name tell us email us or go to our patreon tell us there
1: um so Mukerball ball and two detectives were killed and another detective was seriously injured
0: that's horrible
1: so he's got all this going on in France. I mean, like lots of deaths.
0: Bad stuff. Yeah.
1: Um Carlos, who had been previously unknown to French officials, all of a sudden became like the number one focus of a manhunt that lasted
0: almost two decades. Oh, he evaded them for 20 years. Yes.
1: And some of it was because they weren't really looking for that for him. I'll get back to that in a okay. second. But um so he, apparently he goes back to london because or he, he had per, perhaps been back to london but he had a safe house there so they do a search of his safe house in london and a journalist was along and he uncovered a copy of frederick forsyth's book the day of the jackal so that's when he started getting called carlos the jackal oh, okay so carlos escaped to beirut and he started working on his next plan <laughs> So, this time um, it was something that would make his name known to the rest of the world. It was December 21st, 1975. Carlos and five others stormed a meeting of OPEC ministers in Vienna. They killed two security, car- security guards and a Libyan economist, and 60 others were taken hostage. That Libyan economist! Poor Libyan economist. <laughs> it's just weird to say like because you hear security guard all the time as a description of a person right but you are like a teacher a doctor like a Libyan doctor a Libyan teacher yeah but not a Libyan, a Libyan economist, economist.
0: <laughs> that's funny I'm actually talking about economists as well
1: oh interesting
0: <laughs> um where was I oh Libyan economist
1: yes so he ended up the one the one um hostage taker that actually gets an airplane he got an airplane the one time it happened uh, yeah and i always
0: wonder about that
1: i know he ended up releasing some of the 60 hostages he kept 42 he flew the hostages to algiers well the pilot did
0: i watched a movie on algiers in college he made us all come to class and showed us this movie on algiers it was very violent oh I, I don't really understand what it had to do with the class. I don't remember what the class was, but it had nothing to do with Algiers or Guerrilla Warfare. And yet we had to go watch this movie.
1: Maybe. I wonder if there was something going on. He was trying to be like like current, but I don't know. Possibly. He's failed that
0: mark. Yeah. I had another teacher that made us watch the Brad Pitt movie with the the, prison school. Hill's Kitchen. Is that Never what it was? saw it. It's a good movie. I'm, I'm not sure why I needed to watch it for a history class because it was about Hell's Kitchen in the 70s.
1: I had, this is in high school and it was an English teacher. So, you know, take it for what it was. And it was... High school
0: is th- a different story.
1: We watched the craziest stuff and read the craziest stuff. Like one of the books we read was one of the um, Legends of Don Juan, like with all the peyote and like drug use
0: in high school oh my god it was the 80s it's what they did and then that's uh, crazy yes and you would never get away with that you can't even let them read catcher in the rye today because of the prostitution scene um yeah we
1: full-on like we had I to, loved catcher we had to break it down by chapter and each of us had to master one of the things in this chapter so mine was called my chapter was night walking so okay. i had to like go and do all the practices except for the peyote and thank god yeah and practice night walking in the manner described in this chapter. Um, hell no.
0: <laughs> now, in high school, I did night walking, but that's because my mother didn't have a car, and I would get home from the basketball games at 11 and have to walk home. This was in the woods. Like, it had to be, like, that's in a insane. completely dark environment.
1: And then one of the other... And were- did your parents allow you to do this? I did it, so I guess. That's crazy. Um one of the other chapters was about lucid dreaming um
0: how is a kid supposed to master lucid dreaming oh
1: it had it had instructions for how to do it
0: so that did not involve peyote
1: yes (laughs) um we watched we watched like these other movies that were done like this one Ringo star cartoon that was not
0: age appropriate whatsoever okay I want to know who this teacher was and I want to go talk to him now (laughs) and I want to find out what kind of trip he took in the 60s oh he full-on took a trip (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my favorite english teacher um had like this thing with with the war and we spent an entire semester i think he was mad at the school board or something and we spent an entire semester he took the english book in front of us and literally threw it out the door and we studied the vietnamese war good for him oh it turned me on to history like it that Semester in that class turned me on to history. And then years and years later, I saw him in the parking lot of the Garden Walk Mall. And um, he said, What are you doing? And I said, I'm a history teacher. And he goes, Oh, Rebecca, I thought you were smarter than that. <laughs> and it just made me so sad because I loved him. I still love him. When he comments on my Facebook posts, I get very excited. That's so funny. I'm like, Mr. So and so likes my <laughs> post. <laughs> 30 years later sorry we have gone way off the track Way off track so anyway, Back on track. Pool. They,
1: they land in Algiers with yeah. all the hostages Carlos is welcomed by Al- the Algerian government and later it was revealed that Carlos had received a ransom of tens of millions of dollars Holy for crap. the safe return of the hostages
0: okay was that his initial int had he gone kind of out there with that because his whole thing is he's a communist and he wants to further the communist i don't think he's about taking 10 million dollars i think
1: any communist in power of course is going to usurp whatever they can including the money but i don't think that's what he was that's not his intent he believes he's a believer so what's he gonna do with this 10 million bucks i don't know but anyway this basically um the pflp supporters were angry after that they wanted the OPEC ministers to be executed they did not want them returned safely so (sighs) Carlos got expelled because they're
0: so evil selling oil that keeps the world running
1: yeah So (laughs) (laughs) so Carlos got expelled from the PFLP in 1976 he then because he was well known at this time super well known yeah he began to get support from all these other individuals um, it included Libyan leader Muammar al-Qaddafi and East Germans, the East German Stasi, and they furnished the Stasi furnished Carlos with an East Berlin headquarters and support staff, more than seventy people to support him. He had an him.
0: office had an in op- East Berlin. In East Berlin, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, okay, but you have to think. So <laughs> the the party at this time was all about let's further our agenda let's get people to know us 10 million dollars can go a long way in making your message heard
1: like as they say by any means necessary right and i think he was a by any means necessary guy when it, it came to what he truly sounds like it what his mission was yeah
0: so he's in east Berlin. i feel very sophisticated drinking out of this glass with a lemon twice. i'm sorry i just feel very smart right now so he's in East
1: Berlin. He's building his terrorist network. Um, he decided to call the network the Organization of the Armed Arab Struggle, or OASS. OASS. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um Where do the Arabs fit in with communism? With the whole oil thing. Especially when he's Venezuelan. It, right. So he is Venezuelan. he's Venezuelan. In named East Berlin. Communist. In East Berlin, making deals with the Arabs. I'm, I'm doing my, I'm
1: doing my, I don't
0: know. Yeah, I'm at a loss. Um, so <laughs> in 1979,
1: Carlos married Magdalena Kopp. She was a West German, West German member of the O-A-A-S. Wait, O-A-A-S, not O-A-S-S. Sorry. So Magdalena. <laughs> was, <laughs> not O-A-S. O-A-S. <laughs> Magdalena was arrested by the French police in 1982, and this triggered Carlos to plan a series of reprisals.
0: Got to get my bride out, man. Mm -hmm.
1: So, throughout the spring and summer of 1982, there was a wave of deadly bombings. One of a one of which targeted Jacques Chirac, who at that time was the mayor of Paris. Okay,
0: I like his name.
1: Yeah, Jacques Chirac. I think didn't he later go on to become like the leader of France?
0: I don't know. I thought you said he was the president.
1: No, he was the mayor of Paris in, oh, at that time. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Mayor of the city. Yes. So the attacks continued into 1983, but then all of a sudden there was all this pressure from Western governments um, because...
0: He's a communist yes. living in East Berlin.
1: So then a lot of Carlos's supporters started to disavow him. So he was losing report, losing resources, losing support, and he decided to go to Syria and retire... So he spent most of the 80s in Syria. With his $10 million? I guess. Um, while he was in Syria, the people that were putting him up, they demanded that he just remain inactive, which is why, I brought it up before, basically the rest of the world and international law enforcement kind of forgot about him.
0: Because Syria just said, dude, chill. Yeah, just Lay low.
1: stay here, play golf or whatever
0: you do in Syria. You know, I wouldn't mind that. If some country wants to just put me up and tell me to chill and play golf, I'm good. Yeah. Or whatever
1: you do in Syria. Maybe it's croquet. I don't know.
0: That'd be fine, too. I like croquet. Mm -hmm. It's a very sophisticated long game. (laughs) (laughs) Not the way we play, but I also like bocce ball. It's very fun. Oh, bocce ball's great. (laughs)
1: So by 1990 um rumors began to surface that iraqi leader saddam hussein was trying to recruit carlos um, in order to lead a terror campaign against the united states and some other european targets
0: okay that is very interesting
1: yeah so this reawoke the western intelligence agencies and they once again decided to start looking for carlos the jackal Mm -hmm. so they found him in sudan and in 1994 french agents captured carlos and they returned him to france for trial um he was found guilty for the 1975 murders of Mukerball and the two detectives he was sentenced to life in prison nice in november of 2011 he went on trial for his alleged involvement in four bombings
0: okay whoa 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 whoa, whoa. 1990 to 2011
1: is a long time yeah i think you know they just he was there already in prison so they might as well so it wasn't urgent no they're just like take your time work on the case got it so he went on trial for his involvement in four bombings in the early 80s that killed more than 10 people in france um he was convicted the following month he got another life sentence french authorities brought more charges against carlos in october of 2014 in connection with the 1974 grenada Grenade attack in Paris, and this trial concluded in 2017. And Carlos received his third life so I was just gonna say, did he get life again? He did. Um, so I used um, Britannica, UK, Seattle Times, Wikipedia for those. Um, I watched a couple of YouTube's, but they were there's either like they were either like two minutes long, or there's one that's like the six hour miniseries.
0: I can't imagine six hours on that.
1: Yeah. So I have a bonus, though, because I okay. my original, the original reason why I chose this drink other than I like the drink uh-huh. is... I like it, too. I'm very happy with it. Because that. I found this story, but it ended up being super short, and you kind of already did a history of the <gasps> main element of this. Is it
0: something with the Dreyfus Affair? No. Oh, darn it. It's
1: um, It has to do with the Tour de France.
0: I love how our podcast keeps looping mm-hmm. back.
1: So like I said, it's super short, but this is called... Who punched Eddie Merckx? <laughs> so, Eddie Merckx was a... Well, he is. He's still alive. But he's no longer a professional cyclist. He was a Belgian professional cyclist. He's widely known to be the most successful rider in the history of competitive cycling.
0: I feel like I've heard this story on another podcast that was talking about the Tour de France.
1: Oh, probably. It's, like, one of the most famous stories in the okay. Tour de France. So, Eddie Merckx won five Tour de France's in a row. He won five tour, Tours d'Italie tours difference right not tour de Frances.
0: yes because there's only one france yes there's and multiple tours of it
1: he won one tour to spain he also won all five monuments i don't really know what that is but it's really hard i guess um <laughs> he won three world championships and he won the one hour record he also he also won every major one day race other than the paris tours and he had a whole bunch of track cycling victories
0: okay so he's a dude he's like a he's
1: the man awesome cyclist yes so in 1975 eddie merckx started the tour de france with the yellow jersey like i said he had won. how do you
0: start with the yellow jersey because he
1: had won the previous year's tour de france okay so he had actually won the previous five he was looking for number six yeah
0: um that's kind of badass right there
1: yeah so merckx and a frenchman named bernard thevenet thevenet However you say it. Tevinet or I don't know. They were anyway, con- that dude. Yeah. They were con- I'll call him Bernard. Bernie. Yeah. I don't want to get him confused with the other <laughs> guy. So anyway, the other guy. Bernard were considered the favorites. Um, 1975 had been a pretty turbulent year prior to this for Merckx. He started strong with a few victories and then he got this bad case of tonsillitis and he had to miss the Giro d'Italia, which was Merckx's like, main way he liked to train for the Tour de France.
0: Okay, so he's doing races to practice for races. Yes. So I was emceeing a gymnastics meet, uh, and we did the girls on Saturday and we did the boys on Sunday. And there was this kid who had, he was already on the USA team, which super sad because there's no Olympics this year. I was looking forward to seeing him. But so he was already on the USA team. He'd gotten a full ride to Stanford, and he was working, 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 and doing the stuff, and he kept falling like not like high bar flying 30 feet landing on his stomach on the mat out splat the whole arena like shakes when this kid lands shouldn't
1: he be better than
0: this yes that was exactly my thing so um our boys coach walks by and he goes watch that kid he blah, blah 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 and i'm like um he keeps falling and our coach goes oh he's just practicing stuff that he might want to put in his routine
1: yeah so he's using the meat to practice for his real meat
0: yes and my daughters who did the award ceremony still put multiple medals around his neck
1: (laughs) well if you're that good then yes
0: oh my it was amazing because
1: wasn't this like the state meet
0: yes this was our state meet yeah
1: yeah so it wasn't like a joke either
0: no no but he was just practicing shit for the next meet yeah
1: and California is a big state. So if you have a state meet of anything, it's still well, going to have good yes. competitors. And
0: if you, the, the gymnastics I saw that day was incredible, which is absolutely incredible. But when you are 17, already on the gym, on the USA team, you've got a full ride to Stanford. Like I had to announce, congratulations, da, 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 on your full ride to Stanford. It was very cool. Oh, wow. I just felt very special. I want him to marry child number one.
1: He's slightly older.
0: Not that much older. Four years. Husband is six years older than me.
1: I guess that's fine. So I'm so thinking so about I... as he a fourteen-year-old. Finish... No,
0: no, no. He's gonna finish school. He's gonna come back as a judge for child number two's um, senior year high school meet, and then he will catch daughter number one's And
1: daughter number one is like,
0: across. The he's meat. gonna be like, you, you go to Stanford. I went to Stanford. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and she'll put her head around the camera cuz she's going to be a famous photographer Be like oh hello <laughs> i have it all planned
1: and he's going to she's going to have photos of him from that meet yes so it's like a meet cute times totally two it's totally
0: meet cute times two
1: so he's going to she's going to be like you were at that meet i have pictures I of that you <laughs> that meet.
0: okay dude if you're listening to our podcast you totally know who you are <laughs> look at my kid she's cute yeah, wait four years. <laughs> You're just the protective ant.
1: Um, anyway, Eddie Merckx. Yes. So, July 10th, 1975 was the 14th stage of the tour. Um, they were on the Puy du Dome, which is a steep hill climb on a private road. Okay. And that hill climb had seldomly been used in the Tour de France because they have, you know, they have, they changed the routes periodically. Really? But yeah. It, it was a private road, so they didn't use it all the time. So... Mertz is climbing he's as he's straining up the pui pooey i don't know how to say it <laughs> the uh, hill. yeah the hill he was riding along a narrow corridor of pavement and there's fans on both sides and you can watch the video of this so a man wearing a beige jacket shirt and slacks with a gr- with graying hair reached out to Mertz violently mercs was punched in the back
0: by a fan
1: yes so the punch was found to have had him, have left him with a large bruise but that's all he thought it was. But later during a rest day, this is a couple days later. Right, because
0: they let him rest every now and again. Mm-hmm.
1: Merckx was found to have had an inflamed liver, which is like right where he was punched.
0: And
1: <gasps> yeah. They prescribed him blood thinners. Um, he ended up on the day of that hill climb, he crossed the finish line 34 seconds behind Bernard. And then as soon as he like, got off the bike, he just started vomiting. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So then he quickly changes into his team tracksuit and he gets the police officers that are up at the finish line and they go back down the hill to where Mercs had been punched. And mind you, the tour is still happening. There's lots and lots and lots of people that still have like an hour to ride. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's all these, I mean, all the fans are still there. So they go back down the hill to where he had been punched and Merckx told the police that he would recognize the man who had punched him. But... It turned out he wasn't going to be very difficult to find because all these vigilante fans, when they saw Merckx get punched, they surrounded him. Nice. And, like, made sure that he couldn't get away.
0: I like that.
1: Yeah. So the man turned out to be this 55-year-old local named Nello Breton. Merckx decided to press charges. And so
0: several... Oh yeah, he's got liver damage.
1: Yeah. So several months later, Merckx um, had to go to the court here. Court hearing Bretton said that he had just he had been pushed by the crowd and he did not mean to punch Merckx.
0: he just fell with his fist out yeah he yeah he got and like f- in a swinging motion yes that's how it happens when you fall oh yeah, totally i felt like that all the time people get smacked in the face it's amazing mm-hmm. so
1: as you might have guessed since i already told you there was video footage <laughs> um, it was easy to contradict his claim um, in the video, Breton can be seen reaching, and once Merckx had passed, Breton's arm remains outstretched like a boxer who has thrown a punch. Merckx's injuries also suggested that the punch had been malicious, because if you just bump into somebody, you don't damage their liver. Exactly. Um, so the judge found Breton guilty and ordered him to pay, the, pay damages to Merckx. Um, maybe because the judge was Fran- French, and so was Bernard, the other main competitor in the tour. Um, the judge didn't like the amount of damages was just mostly symbolic. He required Breton to pay Merx one franc.
0: Um, no. Yeah. He should pay all of the hospital bills that he incurred. He should potentially pay awards because wouldn't Merckx have won? He was. He was looking like he was
1: in like, definitely in the um, hunt to win, but alas, after this punch, he didn't win. Some of it was because that just threw him for a loop. Some of it was because he, like I mentioned earlier, he had to take the blood thinners, which did not help the oxygen in his blood. And right. he was, like, struggling after that. He ended well, up finishing second, though.
0: Well, I had heard have heard something about the Tour de France that if someone has a bike trouble or falls off their bike or something. They're very gentlemanly about it and they will all slow down until that person is able to continue at their full speed because they want to beat you at your level, not beat you diminished.
1: But see, I don't think anyone realized that he, he, he was diminished. At Probably not. Because, ev- like, people get, like, people do, like, the hand on your back thing, like, on the hills. Like, you could see when you I watch don't the video. I think you should.
0: I think they should keep your hands off of the writers. It's always been,
1: like, this honor thing. Like, there's, like, this no, like, I mean, the fans, like, will, you know, like, kind of push their favorite people along. And you can see, right before he gets punched, somebody, like, kind of nudges him. Wow. And so... Like, I don't think any of the other riders really had a grasp on what happened because he finishes the race. Well, second, that's huge. And it's a huge hill climb. Like, so people die at the top of that hill climb all the time. That's insane. Yeah. So I don't think anyone would have really thought about it other than to say, oh, good, I beat him. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, I I got almost all of it from this four-part article from Bicycling Magazine. Mm -hmm called who punched Eddie Merckx (laughs) and then a little bit from Wikipedia okay so those are my two stories because I couldn't just
0: have one absolutely not well and mine is rather short I um wanted to do something so I you know French 75 obviously I'm gonna do something with France I was trying to I toyed with um Lafayette oh but that's 76 not 75 Oh, lame. so I'm right so I'm putting stuff in and I found something that I'd never heard of and I'm stunned that I've never heard of this but I got most of my sources wikipedia history.com encyclopedia Two, the free dictionary cool pericles press courses dot lumen learning profilos mental floss and vermonthumanities.org interesting and
1: you already told me you're not going to tell me what this is about I'm not gonna tell you what this is about so okay sorry people you're gonna to have to wait
0: you're gonna figure it out though like the first sentence although
1: it'll it'll be in the head in our title so. yes
0: well and also especially given what is going on in my kitchen right now
1: oh <laughs> I know what's going on in your kitchen I don't know what's going on with your story okay so,
0: so like me the 18th century French people liked their bread
1: okay because you are baking bread right now as
0: i am i am doing a taste test on bread i have two loaves of sourdough bread one made with all-purpose flour and one made with bread flour and we're taste testing to see which flour is better okay yeah so anyway 18th century france likes their bread like they really 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 like their bread i like bread is this louis pasteur really like bread? it's not oh it's not i never heard of this story ever you will not have either even though we both have history degrees crazy tell me okay, suck so- it to me <laughs> in fact the the average wage earner diet at the time in france was mostly cereal like 80 to 70 to 80 percent of their income being spent on grain so like pretty much Brent, you, you are a old French person. I'm an old French person. <laughs> if you
1: consider beer grain.
0: <laughs> oh, beer is totally a grain. Yes, I eat and drink my bread. <laughs> a lot. So, anyway, that was their diet. They liked it that way. Um, the London, and like London, France had a significant population increase. So, we've talked about the different um, toilets. and the great population increase in london during the 18th century so same thing happened in france in 1789 there were five to six million more people living in paris or in france than in 1720 so in the span of what 60 years their population increased by that many people Um, this had a significant increase in the relative in a relatively short period of time and given that they have a love of you know bread this is could possibly pose a problem so it did um we already have a very poor large poor peasant type population that eat a lot of bread um the government at the time is a monarchy they have a king louis the 16th he's coming up um, they looked to the king to rule their country they also looked to him as sort of this benevolent feed me guy
1: oh interesting
0: yes so they they literally called him the, he was like their father he was like their you know he was going to take care of them they called him the le premier Boulangar de royal Mood something um, it means the prime baker of the kingdom oh
1: it, that's okay
0: he's the king they called him the prime baker of the kingdom that's how much they loved their bread so i don't quite picture you know louis the 16th and marie antoinette in their aprons taking bread out of the oven like i do but you know maybe people for that they had people for So, at the time, the police also had a very different role. Um, The police in France, rather than just taking care of law and order, they also maintained society's basic systems. They had to maintain social order. They did the street sweeping.
1: They, yeah, so they just did... Everything, kind of. Huh.
0: They did the street sweeping. They did the controlling and the managing of the food supply they were the ones that were controlling the um output of the market and the granaries
1: wow that's a really extensive
0: it's a lot of work yeah yeah like it's a lot of responsibility to put on and variance Mm -hmm. from street street sweeping to taking care of the granary on this one job description yeah and crime and crime yeah you gotta do the crime too so they, <clears throat> the grain market was run under a very strict set of rules and regulations in order to main, gr- maintain grain quality and availability. They, The grain merchant was a negative, popu- negative occupation, like the tax collector. Oh, yeah, gotcha. The grain merchant was very vilified because they would accuse the grain merchant of, like, hoarding grain or mixing in things like... Bone. Oh. <laughs> or what's the other one? Where did I put it? Where did I? I can't see it. Crushed bones or chalk into the flour to make it stretch further. If I'm going to have to choose, I'm going to choose chalk. Right? But... Which, if you ever look at a Victorian diet, you've seen this or you've, you've, heard of these things being added to flour to make it stretch further Uh uh-huh yeah so grain merchants in france they were very concerned that they were going to do this so they really regulated them um part of the job of the police was to monitor the flour for purity you had to make sure that the grain merchant was not doing these nasty things so you know test flour sweep the road make sure that the grain distribution is fair and take care of the rubber
1: gotta do that
0: gotta do that so they're they're going along this way um in bad harvest years they would an area or a region that had a bad harvest they would not export and an area or a region that had a good harvest they would export more and these grain merchants that had the good harvest they would force them to sell their grain and their flour at a reduced price so that it was all even across the board
1: so why would you care if you had a good harvest it didn't, didn't matter it just is what it is it is what
0: it is they just wanted everybody to have access to flour at a reasonable cost they basically took like all the flour in france we're going to put it in a big pot and then we're going to sell it for the average price rather than this section had a yeah. good harvest they get to sell it for higher this section had lower, they have to buy their more expensive. i mean i guess flour. we do that with subsidies yeah and whatnot so it's it's subsidies it's mm-hmm. pork belly subsidies right there So around the same time, the Age of Enlightenment is happening and some very interesting thinking and ideas are coming out. Um, One of those is the economic theory of physiocracy, which is the economic, it's an economic, this is the quote. An economic theory developed by a group of 18th century Age of Enlightenment French economists who believe that the wealth of nations derived solely from the value of land agriculture or land development and that agriculture products should be highly priced.
1: So they're saying that France trying to keep the flour at a reasonable price is detrimental to the economic development of the country.
0: Correct. Because you need to if you have I just
1: felt like i sounded really
0: smart right you there. did sound really smart right there you <laughs> totally did sound really smart right there if you have a plot of land that is growing flower growing grain like gangbusters you need to set the value of your land at that you're worth your best yes
1: 100 understood obviously by my previous statement because totally, you are
0: super smart totally get this <laughs> yeah sorry we're in econ 101 just let i tell you that
1: i did get a letter from the econ department at my college asking me to be an econ major
0: no i got a letter from my econ department (laughs) asking me to be an econ major my econ professor took me to lunch
1: mine agreed with me about the idiot econ professor that we that I
0: had for the previous class we need to find out if this is the same econ <laughs> professor because I loved him he was awesome I like barely barely passed my first econ class my second econ class I kicked freaking ass in fact if you got a B or higher in the class you did not have to take the final I got a B or higher based on the fact that my aunt who was an econ professor at Centralia Community College helped me a great deal but my professor was so intrigued he took me to lunch and we went to a particular local restaurant who happens to put and i just turned 21 this particular Uh restaurant puts an olive in your beer i didn't know that olive
1: in the beer story have i told the olive in the
0: beer story (laughs) okay well that was my econ professor i
1: don't remember in which episode but listen to all of them oh that's funny
0: all right so here briefly super quick econ professor took me to lunch barely turned 21 thought i was all sophisticated because i was going to lunch with my econ professor ordered a beer was mortified that there was something floating in my beer and i thought the dishwashers had done a bad job but it was just the olive
1: uh, olive with a pit mind you which i <laughs> also remember mentioning in the previous episode that we mentioned this
0: but that's what that restaurant does yes that's what they do i have a gift card for there i need to go it's charming that it's they a do- wonderful restaurant yes. i love it it's amazing and they do an awesome champagne breakfast they do all right back to econ 101 everybody get out your notepad and start taking notes again
1: (laughs) macro or micro i don't know the difference
0: (laughs) i think this is macro right because we're talking about the whole country probably okay so this is how you're going to judge your country on whether or not you can grow shit. so this theory of thinking this economic theory of thinking greatly influenced this man named Again, with the words, Anne Robert jacquois toujot Cool. I think. Not sure. Cool. T u r g o t is his last name. We're going to call him Turgot. I hope that's correct. I'm not sure. It sounds right. He was the Baron de Alouvi, or the King's King Louis's controller of finances. He was the top dog economist. Okay. Got He's it. the boss. So, he was very taken with this theory of agriculture and that your price should be set at the highest price and laissez-faire notion of economics, which is you let the nom- the market decide what it's going to be. If everybody needs flour and you're the only dude that has flour... You get to charge a high price. Sell the flour for what the people are going to pay for the flour. Mm-hmm.
1: Which is interesting. That's So, speaking of the um, like pandemic... Yes. When initial like early on when the whole toilet paper thing was happening oh god there was an argument uh, like you know it was like no price gouging that's illegal blah 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 well there was an argument against it that was like let the market pay what it will because right? if you're charging you know 30 bucks for a roll people aren't going to pay that
0: but if they or, do they do
1: or if they do the market will start flooding the area with more with um, more
0: toilet paper yes and so, that will drive the price down because people will say, I don't need to buy your $30 roll. I can get one for $28 here. Yes.
1: I thought that was interesting. It would have been an interesting, interesting experiment to like split yeah. the country in half. Like if you could do this, which you totally can't, but be like, okay, this half, no price gouging this half, like let, let the market. Do it faire.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Well, I recently, the little paper masks uh-huh. things, I recently was in locally owned grocery store chain and they were $49 for a box of paper masks oh wow that seems i was recently in major warehouse store that's nationwide rhymes with Rostco. yes it does and they were 1999 a box same damn masks same brand same size same everything wow yeah i bought the 20 dollar ones good for you i know but i felt a little guilty because you know like locally owned grocery chain but locally owned grocery chain gets enough of my business
1: when you can comparison shop then i mean
0: right comparison shop so anyway this dude and totally into laissez-faire um do, 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 do. so you let the market side he defended the laissez-faire thinking in his and abolished police regulation of greeneries in okay. this document he establishes free trade of grain this happened on september 13th 1774 so now grain which is the nation's most important crop because everybody has to have their bread like if you don't have bread, you're going to die um there's no regulations on it at all
1: well i imagine there was pandemonium
0: pretty much pretty much so now comes 1775 french 75, french 75. <laughs> 1775 the cereal reserves and the grain stores had all been exhausted prior to the next harvest because of this sell it for what you can so everybody's like i have a silo full of grain i'm going to sell it because it's high price right now and then it's all gone and it's all gone yes so it's all gone prior to the next harvest so before to turgot turgos changes la- laissez-faire policies the grain in the good regions would have been saved and shared with the great with the people in the bad re- grain regions this year the grain merchants bought extensively from regions with high yields and stored and hoarded it to be sold once the price went up from scarcity and they sold and bought all over france instead of just keeping it so yeah so prior to this if you had a bad harvest no one was allowed to export from your area you had to only sell to your area because it was a bad harvest Mm -hmm. and if you had a good harvest you would be forced then to export your grain to the areas with a bad harvest and you may get less than you would have had you sold your grain in your region but it would all like even out in the wash but now it's
1: like the opposite because the poor harvest areas are getting bids to buy like to sell their grain to the places that have the best because they can get a higher price right
0: so the poor yeah. harvest people are getting you less
1: i should have been an econ major
0: you should have you were asked to why did you say no i got the
1: letter
0: <laughs> i love that we both got a letter that cracks me up I wonder they if were trying to coach all the history people <laughs> no we were special we were very smart and we're, they wanted us we were the only two <laughs> <laughs> which we went to college what five years apart
1: i will yeah i still well When did you graduate?
0: I graduated Chico State in 96, I started there in 93.
1: I graduated in 99, but I took my sweet time through college. Oh yeah, so did I. I didn't start-
0: I graduated high school in 1990.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I think so, we're only like, you know, a few years
0: apart. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, grain shortages hit early in more places. Instead of a shortage in one or two places, there were shortages all over. So this news of shortages is causing prices to rise. And cereal is such a massive part of the French diet that these increases are hurting people a lot. Like just a tiny bit of an increase in the cereal prices. When you're spending 70 to 80% of your income on cereal, it's going to devastate you. You're not going to be able to do it. So on April 27th, 1775... Which is two one hundred and ninety-eight years. No, two hundred and three years before my wedding. Mm-hmm. On April twenty-seventh, seventeen seventy-five, riding broke out in the Beaumont sur Orsi, which is twenty-five miles north of Paris. The mob reached Versailles and went on to Paris, which was a six-hour walk. There was concern that the riots were going to go on and cause problems for the coronation of Louis XVI, which was supposed to take place on June 11th, but by that time they had it all quashed and everything was fine. It wasn't like one, hey, let's go get him riot. It was a series of several riots. There were 313 riots over a period of about three weeks, 17 days specifically. They were protesting the high grain prices and the deregulation of the industries they went on to be called the flower wars the flower wars of 75 the flower wars of 1775. so in areas where grain was being exported the rioters would come in and they would loot the warehouses and they would seize the grain from the warehouses and force it to be sold at a fair price
1: so they basically were trying to put it back how
0: it was yes they were trying to put it back how it was exactly um there were there were organizations to seize a shipment but we talked about that um they called this the taxation populaire or popular taxation hmm. so you had to give us your grain because you're trying to price, got price gouge us and screw you we want to pay what we want to pay and that's what we're going to pay Um, In larger cities, they attacked the grain warehouses and the bakeries, and they basically did the same thing. They looted, you're going to sell us your bread for this amount, no matter what you think, this is what we think. Um, They would erect obstacles in the river. They would destroy roads. The idea was to keep the grain from being exported from one area to another area. So they, they, like you just said, they wanted things back the way they were. They didn't like the way things had changed. The people were mad. The people that were mad were the um, the people they were mad at were the um, profiteer millers, the speculators, um, the parliament members who had agreed to these terms. But the people that they're hurting are these warehouse owner guys, the farmer, the baker, who's just you know taking his grain and making it into bread and trying to sell you a loaf. So they're again they're mad at the big dogs
1: but they're hurting the little guys but they're
0: hurting the little guys yeah so um the government sent in twenty five thousand soldiers they made 162 arrests they only hung two people one was a 28 year old wig maker wig maker and his 16 year old companion and that's what this person was called a companion
1: interesting
0: i have no idea what that means um they were hanged in the place de gruelay or g-r-u-g-r-e-u-e which means a public square okay so they were hung there um the king sent messages to the that the food supplies needed to food suppliers needed to sell their food at reasonable prices and not gouge people so don't price gouge be good be kind and he did this by telling the ministers to preach it in the churches this is how he spread his message. Um, Trouble popped up here and there for the next five months. Um, for the most part, the Flower War was over by May 11, 1775. It did have lasting consequences, however. The Because of the riots, Turgot demanded the resignation of police lieutenant general of the police, Jean-Charles Pierre Linois um in the name of the king and he got it this poor dude had to resign even though it was trujillo's policies that yeah. caused the whole thing right
1: like i mean scapegoat
0: yeah um and the people lost faith in the king to feed them so th- who they thought of as their grand baker they now did not think that he could keep them safe so the entire idea that the king, the king is this benevolent father who's going to care for us, they've now lost faith in that. And just a few years later, they do something really bad to him. Does it start with
1: F and end in revolution?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is now commonly thought to be one of the first battles of the French Revolution. Oh, interesting. Yeah, um, the they they felt that Marie Antoinette's rampant spending did not help dispel the thought that the king was not out to look out for them that he was going to just you know do do what he wanted um one this took place many years after 1775 but I just wrote it down because I thought it was interesting so when food riots continued food riots happened quite a bit in the years leading up to the French Revolution so on October 21st, 1789, there was a very gruesome mob that accused the baker, Denis Francois, of hoarding loaves of bread. He, they accused him of hoarding loaves to sell them later at a higher price. And it was part of a plot, they thought it was part of a plot, to deprive loaves of bread to the poor people. They actually thought that the king and his people were actively trying to starve out the poor people to get rid of them so that they could then just have a nation of wealthy people that was one of their arguments
1: well a i don't think it works like that b bread can only last for so long especially without preservatives yeah so it's like three days of hoarding and then what
0: and then it's gonna be eaten by the mice or molded So anyway, they accused this guy of being part of this plot to deprive people of bread. He was given a hearing. He was found innocent. Okay. The mob took him out of the courtroom, hung him, decapitated him, and then presented his head to his pregnant wife and forced her to kiss it.
1: Oh, that's just raunchy.
0: Yes. So... Like, that was much later than 1775, but I just thought it was gross, and I thought some of our fans might appreciate gross because, you know, it's history, and history is often gross. History is often gross.
1: Crime is often gross.
0: Crime is often gross. We're all about the gross, but good cocktails. I
1: like the French 75.
0: I like it a lot, too.
1: We'll drink again.
0: For sure. For sure, for sure, for sure. So even though I learned something new from your story and something new from my story, so not an expert
1: not an expert just
0: a drunk as always you can
1: contact us on facebook at crime and time
0: otr on instagram we are crime and time otr on twitter we're at crime and time otr and our email is crime and time otr at gmail.com email is where you'll want us where you will want to send us cocktail suggestions things you want to learn about Yeah. yeah or just say hi or
1: just say hi and we also have a new patreon page Yay. if you want to buy us a drink buy us a drink so that is patreon.com slash crime and time otr and we're going to be offering some perks for our patrons absolutely
0: i'm excited see you there thank you for listening